Now, just to give some context to all our listeners um, on this episode with Kellen, I met Kellen last semester in an ethics class where, firstly, Kellen was a great speaker, had some very, very interesting ideas to share in the whole domain of ethics and philosophy. And then what caught my eye really was when Kellen went to this classroom uh, while everyone was sitting in, in their dorm rooms, you know, turned off their videos. Not too many people were interested in the class. And here my friend Kellen was in the classroom at the, uh, uh, the professor's podium experimenting, as I would say, with a new kind of format. And I found that really, really interesting what he was doing. And that's where our conversation started. And I met him a few times after that. We spoke about some really interesting topics like uh, how Kellen found his voice as an artist through uh, theater and drama and improv and the kind of social experiments Kellen runs. I found that absolutely fascinating. And we had a session, kind of like a community conversation on finding uh, order in chaos and we were going about these philosophical tangents where Kellen said something that has stuck with me and uh, something that I'm trying to uh, embody and something that I would like to discuss with Kellen today, which was finding uh, amusement in absurdity. That was something very, very fascinating that I associate Kellen with and I thank Kellen for to give me that idea. So. That's why I'm having this conversation to explore some of these different topics and ideas and yeah, um, explore who Kellen is and related to ideas of utopias and dystopias. So thank you for being here, Kellen. I really, really appreciate it. Yeah, man, happy to be here. Looking forward to it. So my first question to you, man, who are you and what is your story? Oh man, that's a, that's a pretty sizable question. Uh, I, I guess uh, the, the first thing uh, to who anyone is, is I guess what they call themselves. My name is Kellen, uh, as you uh, aptly introduced me. I'm from Ripley, Mississippi. Uh, that's, that's where I am right now. And that's where I grew up the first 16 years of my life. Um, the, the way that I describe myself in my Instagram bio is uh, podcaster, comedian, and uh, artist and entrepreneur. Uh, the, those are some titles that I, I, I like to think that I uh, fall under. I, I kind of do a variety of different things. I love to act and perform and do plays and musicals and things like that. I, I have my own podcast that I run, uh, Gravity's Not Real. I, uh, I do kind of like a, a marketing company type thing on the side where I run social media uh, campaigns for a couple pest control companies in the area that I live. And so I guess it's kind of like just a, a brief overview where I'm from and the kind of things that I do. Thank you for sharing, man. I'm interested to know a little bit more about your podcast, Gravity is Not Real, and what inspired that name? Because that really caught my eye in the first second I saw it. So what does Gravity is Not Real? What does that really mean? And why did you choose that as a title? Yeah, so uh, first of all, the fact that caught your eye and you thought of it is part of the reason that it got chosen. Uh, so when I was in senior year of high school, I wanted to kind of just start something. Like I, I knew I had a little bit of extra time on my hands and, and I was like, well, you know, I always talk about like, I love being an artist. I love creating things. So it's something I can create kind of during my downtime that is senioritis and senior year after my college applications were done. 
And I was like, ah, I'll start a podcast. Sure. Because I'm a white man in my, my twenties and, and everyone's doing it. Um, and so I, uh, I was trying to figure out what I was going to call it. I had it down to a couple names and I'm a, I'm a huge Boston Celtics fan. And at the time, someone on the team said something that was really weird to me. Uh, Kyrie Irving, uh, was the point guard at the time. And he is supposedly a flat earther. Uh, that was kind of the thing like, and he, and, uh, they were asking questions about it in the press conference. And, and he said, look, man, I don't even really believe that. I just said that a couple of years ago to prove a point, to prove a point that you guys will hear what I say, run off on a tangent with it, and then never ask me follow-up questions. Like, like, you know, I went to Duke for a year. Like, I'm not stupid. Like, but you assume that I am and just because of this one label about me. You don't ask any further questions. You don't want to know my reasoning. And and that really stood out to me because like, even though obviously the earth is a sphere, it's not flat. Um, there are so many times where maybe it's a, a less obvious statement, but still equally controversial where, you know, somebody will say something to the effect in the last couple of years of, you know, Black Lives Matter or defund the police or I don't want to wear a mask because of COVID or this or that. Like, and these are all like large people groups that have these ideas that to other people are just kind of super alienating and super not something that they're trying to be a part of. Um, and so the name Gravity's Not Real is kind of tied into that. When you say something wild, like any of those previous statements or gravity's not real, people immediately will either look at you and be like, oh, I'm rocking what he's rocking with. That's my ideology. Or they'll say, oh, this guy's an idiot. He doesn't think gravity's real. And they'll just end the conversation and leave. And it ties within the theme because the podcast itself, what it's become is I interview people about their life story, trying to get context on where they're from, who their best friends are, why they believe what they believe. And by painting that picture, you get a greater understanding of who they are and why they hold kind of maybe these controversial opinions or just opinions that, or, or religions that not many other people experience on a day to day. And so it's just kind of that idea that before you dismiss someone, even if it's a viewpoint completely opposite of everything that you think about, uh, you know, you can listen to them, see where they're coming from. You might still not agree afterwards, but it might challenge you to learn something new or consider something new. That's very, very interesting, man. So what I'm hearing is that first you wanted to uh, sort of play with people's expectations, right? So that's something that people don't really hear that gravity is not real. And so it catches the eye. And then second is to challenge people's beliefs. So sharing people's stories and what they believe in and why they believe in what they believe in. And uh, the podcast being a medium to tell stories and um, get a glimpse into some other person's life and uh, sort of explore this idea that could be dismissed on one surface level that, oh, this guy's an idiot or on the other level, okay, this is really interesting. Uh, this is fascinating here. And I guess that ties into that line, that quote you told me in the, the session we had uh, about the existential crisis, right? You said, yeah. um, I, I, I don't think about finding meaning in absurdity and order in absurdity. You said, I like to find amusement in absurdity. And that's something that really caught my eye. Uh, and it's something that I'm holding on to. So can you elaborate a little bit more on what does that mean to you, finding amusement in absurdity? And how does that kind of tie in with who you are as a person? 
Yeah, I mean, so you touched on in your introduction of me that I like to run what you refer to as kind of social experiments um, that I would kind of uh, put it under the same umbrella of the finding amusement in, a, in absurdity. Kind of what that means is an overarching term is uh, that, that conversation about existentialism. That's all about like, oh, why does my life matter? Um, is it even important that I got my degree and worked this job and this thing since 500 years, a thousand years, no one will remember me, that kind of thing. I think that as long as you're going through your day-to-day -day life, it, it's not as important to be remembered in a thousand years, like some kind of Julius Caesar type figure, <laughs> as it is to lead a, a happy life that you assign your own meaning to. And whether that's from a standpoint of, oh, I'm amused or happy with what's going on in my life right now. Like I enjoyed seeing the stand-up comedian. That was a fun experiment with me. I um, went on a date with my girlfriend last night and that was a super fun time. And I was amused or enjoyed that during that. So I think that there's a lot of random events that kind of go on. And that's kind of the, the linchpin of uh, existentialism is kind of this randomness of the universe and kind of this cold calculated it all doesn't matter thing and so in a world where anything could happen anytime a world pandemic could uh break out uh people can just drop dead people could um win the lottery a million different things could happen for seemingly no reason it's important to find something that brings you happiness that brings you some kind of amusement and that can be varies based off what people enjoy maybe I like the theater and you like quantum physics so you spend your days at a, at a chalkboard writing quantum physics equations and you're like oh this is so fascinating I'm enjoying this I love this and I'm sitting there watching plays and binging musicals and I'm like this is it this is the stuff and so however you find that kind of joy or that kind of amusement outweighs uh whatever nonsense is going on around you that's very interesting man so two questions that brings to me one is this idea you brought up that you know people want to be remembered for thousands of years like this julius caesar kind of thing and then there's people who just want to be happy right not really giving a shit about oh what impact uh, am i going to make that is going to be remembered thousands of years down the line or this idea of legacy that i'm going to leave that's something that people usually find motivation from um, and then the second idea you said is that this absurdity of life, this chaos that we're experiencing uh, amidst that chaos, how do we find joy and happiness and whatever? And then you, the word you put in there was um, amusement. And I kind of think of amusement, how it's different from happiness or joy as amusement is a little bit more quirky. It has this yes. sort of like weird flavor and tinge to it. It's just like, okay, this, this is kind of weird, but it's like, I, I kind of fuck with it you know people need to get a little bit kinky kind of weird accept that weirdness in life in order to get well, there think about think about like a small kid right they always want to go to the amusement park they want to go to mm -hmm. disney world or six flags or they call them amusement parks they're not entertainment parks they're not happiness parks it's mm -hmm. amusement it's kind of this thing where like you're fully immersed in the in the world and the things around you but it's, uh, it's not a bad immersion. Sometimes you can like throw yourself into your work and ignore the other practical things. It's kind of this thing like, wow, I'm really enjoying everything around me to the fullest that I possibly can. Yeah, and it also like amusement park reminds me of 
how they're sort of unreal in a way, right? They create this sort of utopian, uh, almost perfect world or things where usually things are not possible. They'll put it in this amusement park that really fascinates kids. And so even your the name of your podcast, it's quite amusing. It's like, it's not real yet. It's so real that it's like, wow, that's, that's an interesting title like that. Uh, can speak more than what gravity is real could speak right like the opposite and that's why I believe art is such so great because uh, I believe art is that lie that reveals the truth somewhere art can sort of in its amusing absurdity tell us more than what things like science and mathematics and very like uptight kind of disciplines can say so I find it very very fascinating man but I'm curious to know from you Given that um, you you mentioned about the sort of motivation and legacy and whatnot, uh, I'm curious what motivates you. What what drives you to wake up every day and live the life you're living? Oh man, I hope we don't fall into existentialism here. But uh, I don't know. I I actually had a conversation with one of my really good friends uh, the other day about something similar to this, like uh, because one of my parents really wants me to go to law school. Um, and one of my parents is kind of just like super laid back and is like, whatever makes you happy, dude. And, uh, and they're like asking me what my plan is, I guess, cause I'm a sophomore moving on to a junior. And so my friend was like, well, Kellen, what do you want to do? Like, what, what is it you want out of life? And I looked at, it, I'm like, I don't really know, man. I just, I got like maybe five or six people that I'd love to live close by that's my main thing. And so um, I don't know, a lot of people, they have some kind of goal where they're like, before I die, I want to make this much money, or I want to have this kind of business. For me personally, all that motivates me is kind of like this, a relational aspect with other humans. Like I've got some people in this world that are just insanely, insanely important to me. And I'll drive hours to see them for like a couple of, like I've driven, uh, four hours total in a day, like um, hour and a half down, hour and a half to bring them back to where I was so that we could do something in my town together because they don't have a car. And then back to drop them off and then back to my house. Because like at the end of the day, you have lots of time to, to make money, you have lots of time to do whatever you want. They say life is short, but 80 years feels like a while to me. Um, but, but you never know how long you'll have with those people. And that's really all I care about. Like I could, I'd be just as happy being a millionaire, billionaire businessman as I would being a broke actor in New York, or as I would being a successful podcast host that does all right. Or as I would be doing things at a marketing company. Like as long as I'm not doing something I straight up hate, I don't really have any goal that I'm pursuing. I just have people I want to be around. Yeah, man. I really, really uh, like what you said, that you get your motivation from people. And uh, that's something I resonate a lot with. And that was one of the reasons why I started this podcast is to connect with more people, to dive into people's minds, because there's so much going on in this, this mind and little world of ours. And having those sort of intersubjective experiences where we can dive into each other's lives and see what's up. Uh, is something that uh, really motivates me and it's uh, it seems like it's something that motivates you as well so in that in that case I'm 
curious to ask you a little bit more about the social experiments that you told me, because I found them very, very fascinating, given that you're a very social person uh, and you thrive in social places, you thrive am amongst people. Uh, I'm curious to know how you identify yourself between people and what are these social experiments that you run? Well, I, I think there's, there's a lot of different parts that make up that whole answer. Um, I guess the first important thing is you call them social experiments. Some of my other kind of like comedian based friends have called them bits. Uh, other people have just called them like eccentric quirks that I have that like, I just do weird things sometimes. I think that the best way that I can put it into words is we talked a lot about like finding amusement and absurdity is there's a lot of, for example, there's not really a very logical reason that when we meet people, we shake their hands. Like, that's actually, just like there is. There is. I, I would challenge that. I, I, there is a reason why we shake people's so, so hands like, to meet them. There's like, there's like a cultural reason to it. But what I'm talking about is like, if you're looking at it from like a pure cold logic, like right. just what it is thing, it's doing is trading bacteria. And it's, that's kind of a ridiculous way to say hello. Like, like there's no reason that culturally it couldn't have, um, I know it sounds ridiculous just because of where we are now as a society, but there's no reason that it couldn't have for cultural reasons started with us doing the chicken dance to greet each other. Like that would have just been a cult. Like, like if you grew up and that's how everyone greeted each other, you wouldn't know that that was weird. You would right. just think this is how we greet each other. Same as shaking hands or bumping elbows or, bumps or like you go up to somebody who's um in an urban city they'll tap you up and do a kind of handshake and if you do that to like somebody from the south they'll be like what is going on here what are all these hand movements you're doing and so what's weird to some person is not weird to others and so i like to look at some social situations where i'm like this is objectively weird that this is happening like I think it's fascinating a lot of times what happens like specifically in like student unions, right? There will be people that are in your grade that you might have a class with that are sitting 30 feet away from you that you will not speak to all four years and you're just right there. That's kind of weird. You have all these different overlaying connections you never speak. Um, you, you have a, a lot in common with a lot of people around you and we just make it a point to not speak to them. So one of the, I guess, weird social things that I did earlier this uh, year was I got a big table in the student union. I set it up and I put up a piece of paper that just said walk-ins welcome. And I had like, people took it a variety of different ways. I had a lot of people come and say, what is this walk-in for? And I just say, bro, whatever you want, a conversation. I'll give you a fist bump. I can give you directions if you're lost. <laughs> um a compliment whatever you need today man i'm just i'm trying to help you out and the the one thing that's really funny with this is like you know lots of people reacted like that um someone came up and said, i really like what you're doing gave me a fist bump and left and didn't say anything else um one of my favorite reactions though is there was this um kind of older couple you could tell they they weren't students but they weren't like they weren't full grown adults like they were like fresh out of college somewhere in there they walked in the student union and they started asking me questions about where things were because I thought they believed I worked for the college <laughs> like like they were they were 
pretty certain that I worked for the school. So they're asking me questions about where they could pick this up, where they could do right. that. I happen to know. So I told them, I'm pretty sure they, to this day, think that they were speaking to an employee of Babson. But, but no, I love doing things like that. It just, it, it adds something memorable to what's going on. And it's, uh, it's definitely puts my own way of doing things. I, I definitely say this as a kid, I was a lot less socially capable. I had a lot less friends. Uh, I was a lot less, I was a lot more shy. Like I, I wasn't necessarily someone who was afraid of doing things, but I didn't like to. And so to push myself, I started like watching people, seeing how they did things. And then I would kind of experiment with how that worked for me. And it kind of grew from there into like, well, why don't I just do this entirely new thing that's gonna look, might look weird to everyone, but also looks cool. Like. I've made some really good friends uh, just solely off of the conversation I started when I walked up and said, hi, my name is Steve Rogers. Uh, nice to meet you. Steve Rogers is, of course, Captain America. And, and for all the Marvel fans, you might be like, that's stupid. Everyone knows who that is. No, they don't. They fully do not know who that is. Many people. Uh, I, went, I, I introduced myself to this girl one time and said, hi, my name is Steve Rogers. She said, nice to meet you, Steve. Her boyfriend beside her starts dying. Like he's, he's laughing, he gets the joke. And she's like, what's happened? It's like nothing, nothing. And so she keeps asking me questions like, oh, where are you from? What do you, what do, you do? And so I just start describing the Captain, character, um, Captain America even more in depth. Like I'm like, oh, I'm from Brooklyn. Yeah, I tried to enlist in the military, but they said I was too skinny. Uh, <laughs> Like, yeah, I got beat up a lot in high school. Like, and I, I literally start going through the Captain America character. The guy beside her is like dying laughing. He's having a great time. And so I've made a lot of friends that way. Just kind of like that I wouldn't have made friends if I'd have just gone up and said, hi, my name's Kellen. Nice to meet you. And so I just enjoy adding a little bit of spice to whatever it is I'm doing in that moment. Yeah, man, that's fascinating. I, I love these stories. And just to sort of philosophize this, because that's something I love doing, it reminds me of this quote that I read, and I say it a lot, uh, especially on this podcast. The quote is by Aldous Huxley, where he says, an experience that does not violate your expectations is not an experience. And I think you are a curator, a designer of experiences in that way, because you go ahead and violate people's expectations time on and on again, right? You violated my expectation in that class where everyone's turned off their cameras, everyone's like frustrated and you hear my friend are in the classroom, like almost like a professor. And I'm like, what the hell yeah, is that the, doing? The board behind me. Uh, I had the I had the five cameras in like this professional classroom like following me around. I mean, I I just feel like, and it also shocked the professor. The professor was also like, "Are you?" Because the professor was at home doing the class from her room, and I was literally the only person in a classroom. It was just a funny sight. And so, I don't know. I like doing things where it's like, it's kind of a blessing and a curse because I do stuff like that. At, everywhere like I do things at orientation uh in college and so people still come up to me and they're like you're the guy at orientation who stood up and did this and I'm like yeah that's me and they're like you're Kellen right I'm like how does everyone everyone know me I I don't know any of you I feel so bad um and also like you know there are times where like maybe if you miss class the professor doesn't notice mm -hmm. My professor, um, 
I had one of her classes last year and I took this, like the following class this year. Like it's the equivalent, like taking intro one and then subject two, like that's kind of the equivalent. And she was in her intro one class this semester. I was taking um, course two and she went, where's Kellen? It's not like him to miss. I, I'm not even enrolled in that class and she's looking for me to be there. And, and so I, and I actually, that's kind of fair. I did show up to that class just randomly a couple times that semester, but, but yeah, I like to do things like that. And it's kind of, it fits into where I'm very recognizable, but also it's very, uh, there's a lot to live up to with that, or people very much know who you are. Mm, that's interesting, man. And uh, I want to ask you a little bit more about this, but before that, the walk-ins welcome. I found that example absolutely fascinating uh, because it's it's like you've violated expectations. You've created this experience for people. Like I'm sure people are going to remember you in some way if you, they had that conversation with you, right? But you have kind of broken the rules of the game of a social situation. Oh, are you still there, Kelly? Yeah, I'm still here. I got a call, so it took me away from the screen, but I'm back. I hear you. No worries. So uh, what I was saying is that it, you kind of broke the rules of the game because I believe every social situation, there's like roles we take on, right? Like in that situation, you they gave you the role of an employee and they gave themselves the role of a lost person, that couple that you mentioned. Uh, yeah. And then someone else are like, okay, like I don't know what role to play in this in this scenario, right? Like usually like SGA might put their stand. So they're playing the role of SGA and I'm playing the role of a student. So I, I'm going to ask them about, you know, what's going on in college, this and that. But you, you didn't really specify what role you were playing, but you kept it open. And that sort of violates people's expectation. It sort of is like, okay, where do I take this? And there's this sort of open invitation that you put that I find absolutely amusing and uh, really, really appreciate. But what I'm really wondering about, man, is... Uh, where do you get the, the, the courage to do this? Because if I was to do this, like there's a desire in me to experiment like this, but there's also deep rooted fear, fear of judgment, fear of uh, to, attracting too much attention, fear of rejection, fear of failure, you know, so many fears that we're conditioned with, or at least I'm conditioned with. And I'm wondering, how did you get the courage and how did you find the voice to be able to, to kind of do all these interesting things that you do? So this is kind of the flip side of that phrase you like so much, finding amusement and absurdity. It's if you acknowledge that nothing matters that much, like truly nothing matters that much, um, then the fact that you made a complete fool of yourself and that even an exorbitant amount of people, say thousands of people, look at you and go, what an idiot. That guy is a complete clown and has no idea what's going on you will probably the world has billions of people in it i mean obviously it could come back but even if it does the point being this you won't interact with most of those people on a personal level most of those people you'll never interact with on a personal level and further than that even if you do interact with them, you have an opportunity later to like either change their perception of you from that interaction so like say that they see you in the on the street and they're like i remember you from that webinar you're an idiot like like you couldn't you couldn't get words to come out of your mouth you said things that completely went against everything i stood for i think you're a bad person 
Well, you have a chance to explain yourself then, talk to this person, meet this person. They might become a friend. They might become a lover. They might become a business associate, um, all because of that chance encounter. And that encounter would have never happened if they didn't see the mm -hmm. webinar. And so the point being that like, there are so many interactions that you just flat wouldn't have if you don't put yourself in any kind of risk. And so the way I like to think about it is if I don't do these social experiments, if I don't do this kind of like wild thing, I'll never speak to them. Is the worst possible outcome of the social experiment worse than me never speaking to them? Because worst case scenario, they hate me and they never speak to me again. That's kind of just the exact same thing, except they have an emotion behind it, which I'd rather someone feel a certain way about me. Mm. Um, but then there's so many other better case scenarios. Like if I see you walking down the street and I think, you know, like, hey, that's a cool jacket, but I never say anything, I'll never see you again. I'll never get to compliment your jacket. I'll just go about my life and never know if that thing could have been. But I could have been like, cool jacket. You could have been like, oh, thanks. I love that shirt. And we start talking and then you invite me on the podcast and then I blow up and I become a superstar. Um, but the point being this, there's just so many more positive outcomes from trying something and all of the negative outcomes really aren't that negative they're also they're just a different outcome that's very interesting man and i really really like that i mean it's this aspect of putting yourself out there taking that risk and realizing that ultimately like that kind of nihilistic existential take that it doesn't matter anyway like what people think even uh, like if i don't do something they're not going to know me anyway, or they're, they're kind of going to move on with their life. And if I do something, I fuck up and they know me for something like quirky or something like, Oh, he's a clown and they move on. It's the same outcome. So it doesn't really well, matter. Anyway. Think about it like this, even though like you say that you yourself, uh, you're trained to have kind of this fear. You're trained to have kind of this, whatever, there are 100% moments where you like, you just embarrassed yourself on accident. Like you either tripped and fell in front of that cute girl in school, or like you dropped uh, your milk in the cafeteria and it splattered to the floor and everyone turned to look at you or like, whether you meant to do it or not, you have these moments. Mm -hmm. And then think about like five years in the future, how much time does that spend in your head? That's none. Like, 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 unless you're like retelling the story as a joke because it's funny, which is a positive thing, you don't even think about it or mention it and it has no negative impact on you. And you're going to have those negative experiences anyway. It's just that when you're doing these things intentionally, it opens it up for a positive experience. Mm, that's interesting. Man. Well, I actually thought of it in the opposite sense because I have had certain experiences like that. And now I don't think about it too much. But there were times when I was hypersensitive and I, I used to think about it a lot and not in a good way. I used to think of, about it in a bad way. And I guess that's where some of my fears and anxiety was kind of embarrassing my friend, uh, my, myself in front of people come from. But I really like what you said is that you can turn that story in your head into a joke and you can laugh about it and you can have a positive experience rather than a negative experience, which is why I really enjoy uh, or appreciate your sort of character or the charisma you bring to the table and how you have this quirky little take, this comedic little take uh, on how you kind of tell stories, how you kind of look at life, how you kind of deal with people. So I really appreciate that, man. I mean, and look, I can be, I'm definitely sensitive to the fact that like in that moment or in the days 
immediately following that moment, that's tough. Mm-hmm. Like, like having the girls say no to you or everyone watching your joke bomb in a, in a public setting or just feeling like you, you were an idiot. That can be embarrassing, but it's just like, kind of like anything else. It's like riding a bike. Like now you hop on a bike, you ride it, you don't even think about it. And it doesn't matter how long it's been since you rode the bike. Everything gets better with practice. The more you're used to a, a joke bombing or making a fool of yourself or the girl saying no, the less time you spend thinking about it later. Um, but even then, like I said, that's like a very short term thing. Like even if even if it stays to not be the greatest situation for you, that's not something that you think about in three or four years. Even the really bad things in three or four years, you're like, yeah, I've moved on. I'm okay. Uh, that wasn't my favorite experience, but that doesn't define who I am. And so I, I don't like to look at it from like, this is the end of the world. This is just a change. Yeah, yeah, exactly, man. And I think it also like on a psychological level, what's happening in the external reality that absurdity that's going on of chaos, randomness, things that are happening, is it just is. It's not good or bad. It's ultimately the story we tell in our head that makes it good or bad. So we ultimately have the agency and the ability to change the story we tell ourselves about the experience or the reality that we are kind of taking in. And uh, it seems like the story you tell yourself is more kind of quirky, more amusing, more comedic, rather than, uh, you know, that of uh, anxiety and, you know, self-doubt and beating yourself up. Oh, how could I fuck up? And like this whole fear of failure and that kind of stuff. So I guess kind of to that point, I heard this quote that I really loved the other day. And it's not by some great philosopher or anything. It's by like a, a guy who does like YouTube videos about like skits and sketches. Um, and he said context of a sketch, but I really liked it. Um, so uh, it was kind of this thing where like they asked him, well, is good or evil? And he was playing Santa Claus. And he said, well, there's kind of two ways that we decide like, naughty or good or good or bad like the first way is you tally up all the good things someone's done and you take away all the bad things they've done and whatever their net score is that's good or bad the other way which is a little bit more complex is no one's really good or bad we just have a different set of values and some people value you know the furthering of humanity and so they have a different value set of what is sacrificial and what is good and other people value money and power and so they have a different value set of what is good and what is bad so really no one's morals are wrong it's just that we're constantly looking at people who value different things and trying to judge them on our moral scale and i was like whoa whoa this is supposed to be a funny video why are we why are we talking like this but but so i really thought about that and like to the point that you're just making like some people will look at the same experience like i actually have a lot of friends who say they get like secondhand embarrassment or social anxiety from watching me do things from watching me do things and so like they have kind of this this value set in their mind of like i really care what random strangers think about me like there's a john mulaney bit where he's like i'm so nice to everyone on the street because i need them to like me I will apologize. I will move out of the way. I will do whatever it takes. And it's kind of this weird thing where those people, not good or bad, they just value 
this random stranger that they'll probably never speak to, not disliking them, not even having a positive, just not disliking them for being weird. I personally could care less about that. I am much more concerned with, am I having a good time? And am I enjoying the joke that I'm telling? And if I am, we'll see what happens. Obviously, I don't want to offend anyone personally or, or um, just be an asshole, but I am going to not really care if they don't like me that much. So we just have different value sets. And I think that's kind of a, the difficulty like of people resetting or trying to think like me. They still very much care what Stacy like down the hall thinks about like, ooh, those were, that was a really weird jacket to wear. It's bright traffic cone orange. Uh, and it has a white stripe around it like a traffic cone. They're, they're dressed like a traffic cone today. I would have just like posted up in the street and just, <laughs> and then cars would have to drive around me because I'm a traffic cone. But another social experiment that's that's fascinating man I, I really like and it doesn't matter what they think but you've gotten people's attention and uh, you know in business they say we live in an attention economy today everyone's fighting for people's attention everyone's trying to like get people's attention on social media on videos on in real life you know our attention spans have gotten down to I guess I think I read the statistic was like eight seconds on average and so stat is we learned this in it last semester um they will look at your web page and if they don't see something they like for five seconds like in the first five seconds they'll just leave mm -hmm. they will immediately hit the backspace bar and like i catch myself doing that i'll click on a google link for something i searched i'll like take three seconds and be like yeah this ain't it and i'll just immediately go back and so yeah our attention spans are so short yeah, man. And so what you're doing in that situation, like these amusing acts or these quirky little things, these social experiments that you run, I think are a tool for attention, right? Like it is almost impossible to ignore and think of what you're doing as normal. It's not something everyone does every day. So it's like, okay, like you have my attention, my friend, what is up? Like if they're too well, scared, they walk away, but I'm sure people really, are going to be very, very curious to know what's up. A really fun thing is like, we talk about subverting expectations. That's something I love to do. Um, I had, I actually, hold up, I have it here with me. I had kind of this bowl that I, uh, that I was carrying around with me. It was completely empty, but we were kind of sitting at eye level. So they couldn't tell, like it's, it's this little thing right here. Um, it kind of functions as a cup, so I was able to pull this off. But I was I was here like this, and I would just occasionally sip from it, and there was there would be nothing in there. And after about like after about like an hour of us talking, and I had been taking a sip like every three minutes, they went, "Do you still have anything in there?" I was like, "Oh, there was never anything in there. It was it, it was just an empty cup the whole time." And they just looked at me like, "Why would you?" What did you gain from that? And I'm like, this reaction that you're having right now, that's what I got from it. Um, and so like, I just, I like doing just things that they're not even, they're, they're definitely weird, but they're not even like, they, there's not a purpose to it. There's no purpose at all. There's like, I get n literally there's nothing. I can, I'm already breathing in air. I get nothing from sipping the cup. 
except from them reacting to the fact that there was and I've had stuff like that where like I never got to tell the end of the joke like I've like I said I like it'd be the equivalent of me sipping from the cup for an hour and then them leaving right no one yeah. no one getting the thing that you've been trying to do but I think that's one of the risks that comes out well there's not really any cost to it but uh, the risk in some way that you have to take that okay maybe they're not gonna get it maybe they're just gonna be like what the fuck is this dude doing like this is absolute or maybe they don't even notice but one uh, of the things that I've ever had was someone just not getting and not reacting to like a bit that I was doing at all is like I made prolonged eye contact with this man like like the whole time I was speaking to him I stared directly into his soul and and I was really waiting for him to comment on it but he just stared right back into my <laughs> eyes and the and like this whole 10 minute conversation was just us directly staring into each other's eyes and not moving and so I was like this is super weird but I I like the energy that he has that he's just He's, he wants to match it. Most people would ask questions and he's like, I'm not asking questions. So wait, wait, are you saying it was just silent? Like just 10 minutes of silence? No, like, like we talked, we had a conversation, but not before, not during and not after that experience has that person ever been like, so, hey, what was that 10 minutes of eye contact? Oh. <laughs> they just, I guess they either didn't think it was weird or they didn't care. Really? And so... And so I always think it's weird when like people just like, oh, this weird thing that you're trying to do is completely normal and I accept it. <laughs> and then that violates your expectations because you're just like, oh shit, I, I thought I'm going to get their attention with it, but they think it's normal. So it's like, oh fuck, like I didn't expect yeah. that. So that's like yeah. double meta level uh, breaking of expectations. But one thing I want to touch upon, man, which connects to... Um, two ideas that we discussed in our ethics class, which relates to what you just um, said. So an idea we discussed, I think we were reading about Immanuel Kant, and there was this idea of being purposeful without a purpose. And you kind of brought in this idea. I'm not sure if this is what it was, but you said it absolute, like drinking from that cup has no real purpose, yet it's not that it has no purpose. I mean, you intentionally made the choice. It's not like you're blind and you're dumb and you're just like, you're, you're just doing this out of some like mental sickness. No, you intentionally or purposefully decided to do that, but without no real purpose. So I think, I don't know if you, you consciously thought about this, but it reminded me of um, what Immanuel Kant said about how we should like an ethical, I don't know if it was Immanuel Kant or someone, but this idea of being purposeful yet having no real purpose, which is somewhere the way to be ethical. Well, it's, it's this interesting thing because like in society, there's a lot of things that we acknowledge. There is no purpose behind this, but that's a completely normal thing to do. Mm -hmm. like, like, for example, there is no purpose to just driving around. Right. Like, like utilitarian functional purpose, but it serves yeah, yeah. some other type of function. Which you could actually argue that it's serving a very negative purpose. You're wasting gas, you're hurting the environment, you're wasting your time, you're, you're doing this or that, you're, in, you're, you're having to deal with other cars, other traffic, and in some sense, you're risking your life uh, to literally do nothing. Like objectively, you are, you are doing nothing um, of any help to you. You're just taking on all of those negatives. And societally, if you go up to someone, it's like, what did you do last night? 
I just drove around town a couple times. They'll be like, oh, that was cool, man. Nice. Glad to hear that. <laughs> or, or, or like anything like that. There's lots of things where like, there's like no purpose to it. And we're like, that is completely fine. But then also, if you start doing something else that objectively has no purpose, like sipping from an empty cup or um, any number of things, washing clean plates, um, people, people will be like, what are you? That's already clean. Stop. You've, you've cleaned it. It's done. Mm-hmm. Um, which in that case, you could actually argue that like that objectively just can only have good outcomes. Like you're making sure that there's absolutely nothing that's going to be infected on it, no bacteria. And society would be like, that's really overkill. There's, mm-hmm. there's no cause to it. And so I think that we have a weird relationship with purpose and purposelessness. Yeah, man, that's fascinating. And I don't think people really think about this or to like really observe what we do, like human behavior. I think uh, one of the other people who I've seen kind of doing what you just did is George Carlin, right? Where he he takes phrases, he looks at everyday things we do and he's like, what the fuck are we actually doing? Like, And then he like turns it into a comedic piece. But then the genius behind that is he makes people laugh but then he also makes people think it's like, wow, I've never, I've never thought about that. But this dude just made me think and made me laugh at the same time. So I think there's a certain genius behind being purposeful, yet having no purpose. And then sort of um, being able to observe these little things and bring people's attention to it and say, like, what are we really doing here? Like, this serves no, not, no real purpose, yet we do it. So what's up with this? Like, let's bring our attention to it. So I, I think that has a kind of shift in the way we see things. I don't think that I've, I've told you this story, but it kind of fits into some of the things that we've talked about. Um, it's kind of like this old Southern proverb or this old Southern adage, because um, of course I'm from Mississippi. But um, there was this, uh, there's this woman who was getting Thanksgiving uh, dinner ready with her daughter. And as they were getting ready to cook the ham, she cut the ends off the ham, put the ham on the tray and put it in the oven. And the daughter came up to her and said, mom, why do we always cut the ends off the ham? Like the tray's plenty big enough to keep the ends. She's like, I don't really know. Uh, your mo- my mother always did it. And so she calls her mom and she says, mom, why do we cut the ends off the ham? And she says, I don't really know. My mother always did it. And so she, she calls um, her mother who's still alive and says, mom, why do we always cut the ends off the ham? And she says, I don't know why you guys do it, but my tray was too small. <laughs> I, could, I couldn't fit the whole ham in the tray, so I cut the ends off, but y'all kept doing it. And so there's kind of this point to like, maybe originally there was a purpose behind something that society does or that we do as a, as a group, but there's no longer a purpose to it. And and we're still assigning it that kind of purpose as if it's a necessary step to be done. Right. And I've seen examples like this where people do certain things like this, right? Like they have no idea why they're doing it. They're doing it because their parents did it. In, and it often leads to uh, quite negative consequences. Like the example you gave now was sort of, you know, not really any big consequences, just like two sides getting cut off, but uh, things relating to, for example, parenting or how we raise children. Like, oh, I'm doing this because this is the way it was done to me. 
I mean, at the end of the day, we're animals that just copy behavior and we don't really think about why we're doing it. We don't really question why we do what we do. We just sort of embrace, okay, this is how things are and this is how I'm going to do it and not really think about why we're doing it. So I think one of the ways I kind of bring people's attention to that is by questioning, but often that kind of like, uh, people get very nervous or they feel anxious. Like, why is this guy questioning us? Like, what the hell is wrong with him? Or like, they get very nervous because they feel interrogated. But what I like with your approach, because it's somewhere you're also doing the same thing. You're bringing people's attention to all these absurd things we do for no real purpose. You're doing it in a very quirky sort of comedic way. So that tension that builds up like, oh, fuck, I didn't know why I was doing that just breaks through, but it breaks with this kind of comedic touch and they, they can kind of laugh about it and be like, oh, fuck, I, I don't know. But like, yeah, thank, thank you for bringing my attention to it. I can laugh about it and I, I, I know something new now. So it's, it's really, really fascinating, man. Another thing I wanted to ask you is uh, you brought in this idea of some, one of the reasons, or well, you didn't say you'd do it for this reason, but um, you said that a lot of these amusing kind of social experiments you, you have can lead you to, uh, you know, maybe they become the love of your life or they become your business partner or they become something else, right? Like in the future, they, they turn into some form of value. And I want to take it back to that ethics class and uh, tie it into this idea of how things can be a means to an end or an end in itself. So I'm curious to know from you, do you do what you do as a means to a greater end or do you do it as an end in itself? I think it's, I think there's like some situationalness to it. Uh, like I'm definitely capable of using it as a means to an end. And I, and I have experiences where I've done that, but it's also just something that I really enjoy and really value. And it's kind of an end to itself in that own way. But yeah, I can, I, like, I know I've spoken, like, very hypothetical about you can meet the love of your life, you can do this, you can do that. Most of my best friends are a direct result from me doing one of these, like, extremely weird things. Like, um, my first, uh, one of my first really good friends, I found a way, like, to get onto the roof of the theater, and I, I started at the theater roof gang which was like a group of kids that got to like hang out on the roof and, <laughs> and do that. And that was just a weird thing to do. Uh, my other, like, this is like one of my best friends in the entire world. He was friends with my sister first and like um, they were FaceTiming or whatever. And like, we were just in the same room and I heard him say something. I need a roommate at this camp that I'm going to. And I went, I'll go to the camp and be your roommate. And, and so I went to the camp that like we we rushed the application and everything I went to the camp I was his roommate and we became like literally best friends out of like kind of that just me immediately in that moment like sure I'll room with you um so many times like I find myself like someone makes a joke and like I'm willing to continue it or I just am up for for doing any rooming with someone at a summer camp that I hadn't gone to before or or doing any number of these things that have literally met the four or five people that are most important to me because of it so uh, did you do it for the intention that you knew that okay like i want no. this okay so you did it at an end in itself you're like why the fuck not and let me just do it like the the like i like to call it kind of my inner circle or whatever the chosen council whatever you want to call it 
um like those four or five people that like they're the most important people to me uh outside of family i met all of those through like these bits and these things and i didn't even mean it in like a oh i'm gonna make this person my friend uh i just did that and they really liked who i was and and we really vibed because I was just doing my best in that moment to be my most authentic self. Mm-hmm. And that was something that they really enjoyed and that they really liked. And so I, I guess that's kind of, sorry, I keep getting like random spam calls on my phone that takes oh, me away from the screen. But I guess that's kind of the, the most important thing about running these kind of social experiments. Like in certain situations, uh, you can kind of put on a facade and play a character or whatever. But for the most part, I'm just being the most authentic version of myself I can be. Like when I put up the walk-ins welcome sign, I love talking to people. I love helping people. I love their story. Honestly, um, somebody asked me, hey, can you help me move out? And like, I was super busy that day and didn't know if I'd get everything done that I needed to get done. And I just went, yeah, sure. 100% I'll come help you move out. And so I, I love to help people. I love to meet people and hear their stories. And so when I do these kind of things, I'm not doing it out of, I guess, like putting on a character facade. I'm doing it because that's just who I am and that's what I love to do. And it ends up working out pretty well. Yeah, man. I really, really appreciate that because I think genuinely um, authentic people who portray their authenticity or who who make themselves vulnerable, take those risks um, and put themselves out there and genuinely attract that same vibe or if not the same vibe, like something interesting. And I think you've been able to do that. And that's why I was drawn to you because I thought that, okay, not too many people do these kind of things, at least in a social situation like BAPS. And this, this guy's got to be interesting. This is, this is, there's some amusement over here that I'd like to explore. So it's, it's fascinating, man. My last question to you that we like to ask all our guests on this podcast is, what does so given all these things that we've spoken about in the context of you know finding amusement and absurdity all these social experiments who you are as a person given all these things what does your utopia look like oh huge question um so i'm going to take utopia to kind of be that that idealistic future for society and humanity and and i think the the best future is one where, of course, this goes without saying, but you still say it, everyone has their needs met. Like they, they have a place to live. They, they have enough to eat. They have enough to drink. They're not worried about that. Everyone's doing things, not because like, oh, I have to. Like, oh, I have to go into work. They're doing things because they get to. Like, oh, I get to go uh, do this job that I love. Or, oh, I get to go hang out with my friend. Or, oh, I get to go do this thing. And I try and give myself kind of that mindset in my day-to-day life. Like, oh, I get to have this opportunity to go do something. That's a lesson I learned from my friend. But I, I guess the, the best version of utopia I can see on earth, at least, is uh, everyone has their basic needs met. Everyone is just fully their most authentic self, but in a way that doesn't hurt anyone else. So like, like you're, you're being honest, you're being real, but you're also not being an asshole. Um, and you're being considerate of other people's feelings and doing the best you can to kind of coexist and, and like a brotherly love with them. 
but also you you get the opportunity to pursue what you want to the best of your ability. Like I know that there's a there's a popular question for a lot of people: if money was no object, what would you do? And I, I guess the best version of utopia is where that's a reality, where money is no object, and there you can't negatively impact the world or your family by making a choice that's for you. Like you get to love who you love, like what you like, and do what you want to do, um, without having kind of this pressure to either like just survive or help other people survive and get by. Wow, man. I absolutely love that. And I would say that resonates a lot with the utopia that I envision as well, where there's authenticity, uh, our needs are met. Um, there's this brotherly love that we have beyond the facades that we usually carry on and, and we get to do things that we want to do, right? We don't have to do it that we have currently in today's day and age. So I really, really like that answer. Thank you for all of what you have shared with us today. And thank you for being you, man. That's that's one of the most important things because uh, out of yeah. all the people that we've had on this podcast, not too many people have made me laugh or like made me feel the sense that, okay, this, this person is actually being real, right? Because a lot of times on podcasts, like knowing that, oh, this is getting recorded. This is going to be on the internet. I need to hold on a certain type of, uh, you know, this professional character and like be, you know, very like uptight in some way. There, there's that instant change that happens when the, the record sign goes on but I, I didn't notice that in you so I really really appreciate that and thank you for being here my friend and I really appreciate that that was a, a nice compliment hey man I think you're a great guy and I appreciate you bringing me on the show <laughs>